Hello, I'm Mike Page, and this is The Front Page, a programme about people's life experiences, trials and triumphs. My guest today is a published poet with 12 books at the time of this recording. His fascination with life's experiences inspires him to write under the four themes of romance, humour, reflection and tragedy. He is widely known as the Psyche Poet, and he joins me now. Laurie Wilkinson, welcome. Hello, Mike. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Laurie, you probably know what I'm going to ask you (laughs) for starters before we get into the meat and potatoes. Right. Well, when I um, first started um, writing prolifically again about 2013, uh, my first then publisher thought it was a good idea to have a sort of acca. Um, so my career, my latterly career that I had for 30 years, um, I was a mental health nurse. I was in psychiatry and we used to call ourselves psyche nurses. So I came <laughs> up with the idea, the psyche poet. The funny little story is that a couple of times people have got it confused with the psychic poet. <laughs> uh, once I was going to do a gig in a hotel in Eastbourne and they had this group that I was going to talk to and they thought, God, I'm a psychic poet. I don't know if we want to have any of this. Unfortunately, <laughs> as they were discussing it, I walked in and went, no, 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 no. It's <laughs> because of the psyche poet. So that's that. And it, it sort of stuck with me. And my first publisher, he said, oh, the psyche poet, I like that. He said, but hasn't really got enough drama to it. He said, I think, why don't you call yourself the psycho poet? And I went, no, no. So I am the psyche poet, Gary Wilkins. Okay, brilliant. That's That's a neat story. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, let's travel back in time. You were born in Walthamstow, East London as the country was just recovering from World War Two, uh, Times are hard. Money was tight. You mentioned in the uh, introduction on your website that the bathroom was a tin tub hanging from a nail in the garden. And it was true. It was one of these galvanised baths. Um, and, yeah, it hung a nook in the, in the alley. I mean, when we sat in the, in the lounge, there's only a small um, uh, three-up, two... Uh, two down sort of terraced house in, in East London, uh, Walthamstow, as I say. And, um, yeah, I mean, my parents were amazingly happy, cheerful, and which may come on to a bit later and inspired me uh, in my latter years. But they were always happy and singing. But, yeah, we, we didn't really have the proverbial pot to twinkle in too much. We were quite, <laughs> quite hard up. And, no, that was, that was true. Um, we didn't have a bathroom. Friday mm. night was bath night, the uh, proverbial... Out came the tub. It came in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, came in. Yeah, yes. it came in. Yeah, we had it in the in the um, in the garden. in the sort of kitchen bit, and we oh. had we had a, a hot water um, machine. Well, I can't think of what they call it, a thermostat kind of thing, and it had a boiler. long hmm. yeah boiler, and it had a long arm that came out over the sink, oh. and it went in. At a, um, my mum and dad used to boil water up in kettles and went in there, and that was put in every now and again. <laughs> And uh, that's where I really, really learned. I'm a gentleman. (laughs) A few few might disagree with me. But, you know, I learned my manners from a basic thing is that as it was a shared bath, and actually I was normally last in the line, being the youngest. (laughs) And and, um, you learn your etiquette that you didn't tinkle in the bath. Okay, well, got that cleared up. (laughs) What are your earliest recollections of life at home during that time? Uh, very happy, um, very happy. 
um, my dad, uh, amazing man. I love and grateful to both of my parents and uh, and a, another poem that I've written about them that will probably come in a reflection. Um, another interview I know that we've got in mind called Gratitude. Um, thank you, my parents. Uh, my dad virtually had no education. He had a very very tough upbringing. His dad was actually sixty five when he was born. Wow. And he had a younger brother. Wow. And um there was there was about ten of them I think lived next door to where I lived. Mm. Uh, all of them and there was about ten or twelve in there, so how the flipping hell they fitted in there and that I don't know. Big families. Uh, in well, those yeah, days. we were, they mm. were. But yeah, but I mean he had virtually no education, but uh, uh, certainly a strong thing um that dinged with me in early years um of the written word. And my dad was often quoting bits of Shakespeare. Um, I mean, where he got them from, I don't know, because he virtually didn't have any education, loved classical music, that was off and on. And my mum was just a plethora of these sayings, you know, you've got to cut your coat, you're calling to your cloth, and too many cooks spoiled, you know, the broth, and loads of them, and they kind of stuck with me. And uh, I've used them in in my in a lot of my books. So yeah, that was a happy memory. Um, yeah, we used to do things together, go and walk a lot. Sunday uh, in the summer, we used to walk up to um, a place called Bucks Walk, where the amateur cricket team used to play, and we used to take a picnic up there. So yeah, a really really happy times for me. Um, but you didn't waste anything. <laughs> no, no. Should we have a poem? Yes. Today's theme is romance. Your parents were obviously very much in love. It was a happy home. They joked and had a lot of merriment. <laughs> You're right. My mum and dad absolutely adored each other, and there was certainly there was certainly no sort of chance. You know, the, the classic with uh, mum, mum, can I do that? No, no. And I go along to dad, 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 can I do that? So into the first um, poem, and I mean these have kind of grown on me as I've gone along. So this poem's called Sensations of Love, and like most of mine, I've got a bit of stories behind them or whatever, and I like listening to opera. I like the tenor singing um, Your Tiny Hand is Frozen from the opera La Boheme. So this poem is based a little bit on that. Sensations of Love From love-struck teen to an older heart Love can arrive and catapult you to unscaled heights and sensations with many vibrant feelings anew. Soaring and gliding across the skies like operatic arias touching your core. In fact, you're so moved and ecstatic you feel a need to beg for more. So mesmerised by a dazzling light that seems to shine right inside your very secret inner soul, leaving nowhere left to hide. For like a melting of frozen lakes, washing all the icebergs away, a controlling spirit leads you to another rapturous day. Thus stunned and filled with wonder, you walk majestically about, believing that whatever comes now will be joyous without a doubt. For slowly you come to realise some great miracle has occurred, brought by this faultless muse 
that your whole being has stirred. So, who is this magnificent angel and how did they spread such love? For now you believe you're flying alongside passing clouds above. The sun is now in your pocket with many other exhilarations as you have come to realise you're caught by love's sensations. Wow. What is your process for capturing the kind of emotions that are stirred for, with a poem like that? Um, life, really. Um, we've all had experiences, or hopefully in life of loves, your first first one when we were younger and, <laughs> you know, the first um, girlfriend. I remember or, those days. Oh, <laughs> indeed, yeah, going back a while. But certainly those and... Um, how feelings of love and emotions, I write a lot on emotions and on my observations of life and the people in it and how um, events affect them, how they've affected me in the past. So that's, as I say, the first line, um, love affecting us from teenagers to older people. Um, hopefully people who maybe have lost it or lost their partner, spouse or whatever, and the hope that they can still find love in latter years. Without love, and this sounds a little bit, um, you know, sugary spice and all things nice, but I'm a great believer. Good will, will overpower bad, and there's enough bad in the world. And love's part of that. So that's some of that, if that answers you, Mike. That's how that comes out in me. I care a lot about it. Now, around the time of your first book, Poetic Views of Life, you made the decision that if you could manage to sell just 60 books, you'd donate the proceeds to a great charity, Help for Heroes. Why did you decide to support this particular charity, Laurie? Yeah, uh, well, I, I was brought up and very well aware because um, uh, probably worth saying at this um, at this stage, my, uh, my dad had to be one of the oldest conscripts for the Second World War. He was about 36, 37 when he was called up, which was quite old and he was a lorry driver um and he was in the eighth army and uh so he went out to africa and uh, northern africa and uh, italy and all the rest of it and saw some of the really big battles which he never said much about he would tell me about them he never gave great detail i'll only tell you about the funny bits and that of it but um he was at monte Cassino, tobruk el alamein all the big battles and he just touched on the loss of life etc so I was always aware of that um, always watched um, Armistice Day you know and the memorial service you know in November it was always a big thing with me and then and a bit of a surprise actually my son joined up in about 2003 2004 in the army and um uh, he, he um, of course went out to a modern war he went out quite a few times to Afghanistan and um, that tied in to my first book coming out in April the 14th 2014 and my memory's doing quite well and um, I just thought oh that was the first book that was going to be it I wasn't expecting to do anymore um, 12 books and about 550 poems later um, but as I said he was out in Afghanistan it was still 
uh, very rife the war and that out there and regularly on the radio. Did, did you worry for him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was a stupid on... question, really. But no, no, no. I mean, no, no. Uh, well, it's a about. big thing, and I've I've written on that again. I mean, um, it was on the radio. You couldn't kind of forget. I mean, you tried to forget about it, kind of thing, and went about, but you were aware. But then he'd be on the radio, you know, there's been a big explosion in Helmand and you'd think, oh, God, and, and all the rest of it. And um, I can't listen now without sort of pieing a tear a little bit. The song Bring Him Home from Love Miserable. But, yeah, but fortunately he came home all right. Um, no injuries, no uh, memories, I'm sure. Once again, I don't ask. He doesn't talk about it. But he's well in mind and that's worth noting mind but that's how i i thought if i can sell a few books i'd like to give something back help for heroes came in my mind and that's how i got into help for heroes the psyche poet writes poems about romance humor reflection and tragedy go to lauriewilkinson.com or search the psyche poet You began working in London's East End at the tender age of 15. <laughs> Tell me about that experience. What kind of job was it? You know, did it last very long or how, how did you get on with your workmates? There's quite a, a list of questions I could ask you about, about that experience. Memorable, good and bad. Um, I, I was actually a bookbinding apprentice. Um, my dad, um, I told you, had virtually no education and he had ordinary jobs and I'm not belittling them everybody who does a job has got their bit um, but I put it into perspective um, he asked for a rise and they sacked him so he was determined that I would have a trade you know so he had in mind that I'd be something like a compositor printer and all the rest of it reader but of course daddy wasn't in the print and at those times it was handed down the kid over the road, his daddy worked in the print and he failed the exam the first time. So he got another chance. <laughs> I only got one chance. Fortunately, I passed. But because my dad wasn't in it and all the rest of it, I got put into the the first one of the prints that started to die, the print industry, as a bookbinder, as I said, which wasn't me. So that was the first one. That I did a six-year apprenticeship. I had a horrid bullying apprentice who was two years older than me and when I was 15 a kid 17 that's a lot of uh in those times took that two years was a lot he stayed on and got GCEs he did a five-year apprenticeship and I had to do six so I was a little bit aggrieved and, and they would have a pop at me because as, a, as a, an apprentice you were lower than the low and and, and, that, and they could take the mickey out of you and you couldn't answer back well, not in Lurie's songbook, so I did, and it didn't go down very well. I have actually written for a further interview, Mike, um, a poem that it's called "The Walthamstow One" or the <laughs> or the gift, because I was a gift. I was gift wrapped and strapped to this six-year apprenticeship with this bullying mm. buzz bomb above me. How did that affect your poetry writing at that time? That's a good question because one of my releases, as I started to get a bit older. I started to sort of develop. I've got quite a, a stoic roots, which I've written a poem about as well. And I was um, singing with groups about that time after. And uh, I've forgotten I wrote some of our 
songs. I can't write music, but um, the organist particularly would write a tune and I'll put the music to it. Um, or, or you'd put the words to it. Yeah, I'll put the words to it, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I know what I meant. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so, uh, so that was um, very, very quick. And I've always uh, involved myself in life. I once was said about me uh, in a review in, in my latter career, uh, which was, as we touched on, was psychiatry. And the nursing officer said, um, Laurie has a somewhat evanescent evanescent personality that has an uplifting effect on others and I thought that was lovely Mm. Um, so yeah my sense of humour my love of music and that kind of got me through right well poem number two what have you chosen for us ah right this is a very very uh, nice one it was actually written earlier this is in only my third book so it was probably written in uh, 2014 2015 and I've actually sold a lot of books on this one poem. There's not really a story behind it as such, only in as much as I wanted to convey in the poem how much somebody would appreciate the love of somebody else and wanted to vocalise that or put it into a poem, how you would feel. Um, it's not written about a person, Um, which I do write and have written about people, and I do personal poems for people. Um, But this was really about an abstract person, but certainly how I would feel, and you'll hear in the poem, uh, how I would convey myself to my muse at the time. It's called Feeling Special. When we're together, I am somewhere, but lost and nowhere when I'm alone. For with you I can skip and cartwheel, though if apart my heart a stone. So secretly I'll be your personal ghost, all around watching with my stare. I am the out-breath when you breathe, and I am the wind that blows your hair. Thus note the trembling at your sleeve, and feel the itch that you just cannot scratch because I am the warm light that shines like darkness lit by a match. When we are together I am somewhere but lost and nowhere when I am alone for with you I can skip and cartwheel though if apart my heart's a stone. And should you feel sensation at your blouse or some finite movement at your skirt and your heartbeat moves to unfelt rhythm It's just me protecting you from hurt. Be not afraid when you see a shadow or feel a touch, moth-like, at the air. It's just my presence come to love you and ensure safe passages you steer. Thus have no fear of the world around you. Even lightning strikes from above. For you are safe within an inner armour, fashioned by my spirit's love. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm trying to understand how you find the words. You know, we often say, don't know, I can't find the words to express whatever. Do you write one line and, and work it from there? Does the first line or two create the inspiration or can it be on the bench for three four weeks 
waiting to be created? No, certainly not. Um, I, 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 I attribute this to my parents um, had great vocabularies. I'm not sure where my dad's came from. But and I I was a mad reader, read a lot, and I just picked up the vocabulary. Um, once I've got an idea, um, and obviously I've mentioned and I've counted them about five hundred and fifty poems, and um, I write on all different kind of things. So when I get an idea. Um, you're pretty much right. I get the first line, um, and then I put that down. Sometimes it might just come to me when I'm doing something and I just put the line down and I go back to it but no once I've started I invariably and this might seem unbelievable to some I write the poems in about 15-20 minutes wow Um, that's fast yeah uh, and I just write them freehand and then I go back to type them up and edit edit them and mutter the odd Anglo-Saxon word (laughs) when I can't read my own writing written fast (laughs) when I've got the ideas coming. Uh, But no, I go back to them and I edit it and do it from that. So, yeah, I mean, um, mostly they roll out and I'm quite happy with it. Some people might say, oh, he's he's gifted, you know, he's gifted. You know, what does that mean to you? Or or is it more about the the, the art of words that you've learnt from an early age and, like you say, you read and read and read and developed a a strong uh, vocabulary? Um, To say, oh, yeah, Laurie's gifted, it's a bit of a kind of a, a... you could say a bit of a put down in some way, as if it's some kind of magical thing that happened all on its own. What, what have you got to say about that? Early days, and I'll clarify that in a second. I was a bit terrified when people said that. Um, they also, when people said they loved my books and they kept them on their bedside table and read of me just before they went to bed, I thought, God, they're going to read of me before they go to sleep. But <laughs> I've kind of moved through that now. And um, I'll clarify that because in my past, like most of us, and I'll add that, like most of us, some won't admit it, um, but I've made mistakes where I've been too cocky, I thought I was clever, the bee's proverbial knees, etc. So when I started writing the poems, I thought, if I get anywhere with this, I'm keeping my old plates, my old plates are me, staying firmly on terra firma. And I've got um, a couple of particular people who read for me now and few others who've encouraged me and said that I need to push myself a little bit. So I accepted actually when people said to me uh, and I would say that I had a gift rather than people saying, oh, you're very talented. It's practice. I like the saying by the golfer who kept winning things and they called him lucky. And he said, yeah, the more I practice the luckier I get. And I think with that, I put a lot into it. Mm. I think a lot. I make notes. I'm a great observer of people. Um, my first publisher um, called me like the poet in the pub and I'd sit there with me beer and look around. So, yeah, I, I do take that. But, yes, I am now accept that I have um, a very fortunate ability, but I do work hard at it. What's your third and final poem for this episode, Laurie? Um, yeah, it's a nice, uh, another nice one. And as I said, obviously they're all romance. I mean, I think those um, 
experiences of life and, and nothing that we write on and things that you care about. So that obviously comes out in my poems. Two um, little quick things behind the writing of this, which was probably written about five years ago. Um, as love, which we've mentioned, and the importance of love. And one of my great loves um, in life is nature and things that a lot of people take for granted, and that will come out in the poem. And one of the things that I love is trees. Also, uh, the, the first line is um, a little bit of a line in one of my favourite sort of love songs. But the poem is called Love and Trees. Maybe you'll never know how much I love you. Or possibly how that you are so adored. Because it may all have overpowered you, making you complacent and perhaps bored. For sometimes too much of a good thing can confuse and just seem like the norm. But do not dismiss that all you receive, freely given in every way and form. Perhaps you take the trees for granted, with their magnificent spread and shade, forever constant in this glory of gifts, as if by angels they were made. For on many occasions in busy lives, such statuesque wonder isn't seen, until a rival of sad or very tranquil times awakens you to this sea of green. Standing proudly, tall or stretching wide, poplars, willow, birch or the imperial oak, nobly constant with liberal generosity of beautiful sights that they provoke. In redundant minds and sad emotions, confined to the mundane or dire, before unleashing spectacles of delight, causing our hearts to soar much higher. So the wonders, now unseen or noted, of unconditional love or adoration, could easily slip by, sadly missed, if not aroused to an ecstatic elation. Thus, take a brief considering moment and open your beautiful eyes to see how this priceless love is passing by, offered wholly to you from me. Laurie, you're an artist. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. You've been listening to Laurie Wilkinson, a.k.a. The Psyche Poet, waxing lyrical about life events and reading poems from the first of his four themes, romance, humour, tragedy and reflection. Join us again for the next episode when Laurie will be reading poems on the theme of humour. Until then, this is Mike Page with The Front Page. Thank you for listening. <laughs>